Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And your calls, welcome, 49216216 for your question for Dennis. Dennis, talking about herbal mm, medicine, mm. you've seen it a lot of it. I, mean, I have. It's a fairly big topic, what's happened indeed. over the last 40 oh, years. Oh, look, it's, it's a fascinating thing to reflect on, Jane, and at this late stage of my professional career, um, I reflect on the 40 years, and I think a number of things have changed over that period of time. One of the major things has been that uh, herbal medicine has gained a credibility based uh, on the introduction of a more scientific explanation as to how many of the herbs work. Uh, there is what is known a, a discipline that is known as pharmacognosy, uh, and pharmacognosy is essentially uh, a study of the chemical principles in plants, particularly herbs, which go a long way to explaining the effect that they have in the body. And uh, prior to my becoming involved in the herbal medicine profession, and indeed uh, with the National Herbalist Association of Australia, the herbal medicine was very much based purely on empiricism and, uh, if you like, um, the practice of, of herbal medicine. But uh, there was a very important event that happened, and that was round about 1990, I think it was, when... Uh, Professor Webb uh, was the chairman of a group of professionals that was set up by the government to look into the registration of complementary therapists. Uh, some of them did gain registration, the chiropractors and the osteopaths, for instance. But as herbalists, we missed out. And we missed out because we could not, at that stage, talk the language of the scientific committee that were very graciously uh, talking to us and, and helping us. But at the end of it, we failed to gain what you might call the pat on the shoulder from government authorities because our understanding of pharmacognosy was fairly minimal. And so as a trained engineer, I took on the responsibility of bringing into being, into the Herbalist Association, a course component which made it mandatory for all herbal students, whether they be in a major college or a smaller college, had to do a course in pharmacognosy that would explain to a large extent how many of the traditional herbs that we'd been using, how they actually worked in the body. Now, that had an incredible breakthrough, and it's interesting that on my property in the Hunter Valley presently, I have a, a, a lifelong friend of mine, I'll not mention names, who was one of the first students to study with me going back into the late 70s at Glebe. And uh, he's now um, nearly as old as I am, and that's very ancient. But uh, Andrew uh, went on to write one of the first books on pharmacognosy. I think it's called uh, Medicinal, uh, Medicinal Herbs and Their Chemistry, or words to that effect. And it's become somewhat... Uh, of a standard throughout the world. In fact, Andrew has recently told me that the publishers are doing another print run on it because uh, that text, which was originally written to cover my concern about uh, students not being taught plant chemistry or pharmacognosy, that text has now become a standard work being used around the world uh, to educate uh, persons in, 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 in uh, pharmacy, in herbal medicine, and perhaps even in some situations in medicine, about what I'm talking about, one of the big leap forwards in the 40 years has been the introduction of pharmacognosy, which is a study of the plant principles 
that explain how many of the herbs work. And of course, uh, and we can talk about this more in a moment, but another big, big, big change has been the way in which uh, English-speaking herbalism, or what we refer to as Western herbalism, the way in which that has become much, much more eclectic and has uh, become less dependent on its Anglo-American roots and has uh, incorporated into its Materia Medica many fascinating herbs from many traditions, and I'll talk about three of them particularly that I had a lot to do in introducing into clinical practice here in Australia, which play an, an incredibly important part in a herbalist's or in, in, some, in, in a pharmacist's use of herbs in addressing particular diseases for which they're appropriate. Dennis, we're talking about um, herbal medicine and what's been happening over the last 40 years. Mm. Could you give us some examples of herbs that you've um, been involved in introducing? Into yes, practice? look, that's a very exciting thing for me to discuss because uh, a number of herbs now that uh, practising herbalists and pharmacists take for granted have a lot to do with my introduction of them into Australia. And probably one of the most significant of those, Jane, is the... Uh, European herb or the Mediterranean herb known as Vitex agnus castus. Uh, it's commonly known as chase tree or sometimes known as monk's berry and it is a fascinating herb uh, which prior to my lecturing uh, and my uh, introduction of it, it was not part and parcel of Western herbalism at all, which at that stage, as I've said uh, before, was very much steeped in a blend of uh, English and American herbs. But Vitex agnus castus became, as a result of my research and teaching on it, one of the breakthrough remedies to address very, very common uh, female reproductive disorders. And it came about as a result of preparing some lectures uh, uh, for my students on the female reproductive system and the application of herbal remedies to some of the problems of that system. And there was a very famous English herbalist, uh, Captain Geoffrey Whitehouse, an interesting name, but he was a genius, very elderly and senior practitioner in the UK, a fellow of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. And, and he wrote a book that I studied in preparing the lectures where he prevented, uh, presented Vitex as a remedy with significant hormone balancing characteristics. And, and, and what that meant was that we now had a herb that could address many female problems where a, a disjointed arrangement between estrogen and progesterone was leading to serious problems. And we'll talk more about that in a moment because it's a fascinating study, Vitex agnus castus. It is 26 past 12, 49216216. That's the number for you to ring, and that's the number that Daryl has rung in from Western on. And, Daryl, you've got a question about medication for irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. Uh, hello, Daryl. Hello, Daryl. Uh, I've just started taking a, a tonic called Obergas. Have you had any dealings with that? Yes, I know, I know of the preparation. It's a plant-based preparation. With, with a good reputation, and I understand it's, it's readily available from most pharmacists. When, when I studied the constituents of it, it's a typical, uh, well-balanced European preparation which has uh, many European herbs in it which have a relationship to irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, herbs that, for instance, address bloatedness, herbs that address uh, colic, uh, herbs that can address even acidity. So... 
the preparation is relatively new uh, into our pharmacies and I suspect health food stores in Australia as well. I haven't had a lot of feedback from it, but um, I like the preparation. I like uh, what's in it. And knowing that it is based on a European knowledge of herbs, I would have confidence in it. Um, my approach to irritable bowel, however, is, is, is pretty straightforward. I tend to see irritable bowel having more to do with uh, what are called functional uh, problems rather than pathology-based conditions, and I've always addressed it with uh, slippery elm powder as, as a must, as a must for irritable bowel, and that's readily available from health food stores and pharmacies. And I've tried to simplify it over the years by seeing that most of the symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome I have found can be helped by a regular use of the European herb called chamomile, a regular yeah. use, a regular use of the herb called lemon balm or Melissa officinalis, and also a regular use of peppermint. Those three herbs would be considered to be the backbone of what I would consider to be the European, uh, European approach to addressing many of these functional symptoms. So I suspect that in the preparation you're talking about, many of those or those herbs that I've rep spoken about there would be represented. So I, yes, would, there I, is, yeah. I would give it a go. Um, if, if you don't get a benefit, however, um, contemplate uh, looking at those herbs more as singular remedies, going through them yeah. one by going through them one by one and i must yeah. say, i must say that there's a bit of a misnomer in the public about the role of chamomile most people know of the herb chamomile and certainly if you come from europe you would know about it and most people think that chamomile has more to do with sleep and getting kids to sleep and promoting sound to sleep well i'm one of those people that dissent from that viewpoint i've never really found chamomile outstanding as an anti-insomnic remedy and I, I'm very, very much influenced by the ideas of the, of the medical practitioner that I've mentioned frequently on this program, the great German uh, herbalist and medical practitioner, Dr. Rudolf Weiss, whose literature I've used all my professional life. He uh, introduced me years ago to chamomile as being probably the primary remedy to persevere with for addressing most symptoms that we would relate to irritable bowel syndrome. Okay. It's mainly bloating and wind and yes. things like that, you know. Well, so. th th this is where those three herbs, uh, either yeah. in, in combination in the preparation you've got, or perhaps individually, yeah. as even herbal teas, are usually capable of addressing those symptoms. And I always say, think of chamomile um, as useful, if you like, or more of the upper gut type of symptoms and think of herbs like peppermint to address, if you like, lower gut symptoms. Peppermint is good for dealing with wind, flatulence and bloatedness, whereas chamomile deals more with the colicky type of symptoms that can also be oh, characteristic okay. of it. Give that a go. What was, what was the third one again? Third one was, uh, uh, the other one that I mentioned was lemon balm. And, and lemon, lemon balm, okay. Lemon, yeah. lemon balm has proved itself over and over and over again as particularly relevant to individuals who internalise all their anxiety and stress where their gut is where their, where their gut is a reflection of the anxiety that is part of their constitution nothing can compete in my opinion with Melissa officinalis that's lemon balm as a remedy to address 
the symptoms of irritable bowel which are brought on as a result of anxiety or stress. Jerry, you've rung in from Singleton and it's all about horseradish and garlic for you. Well, it is, actually, yes. Um, I've got a question for Dennis out there. I listened to his show a few weeks ago. I suffer of fairly badly from sciences. And Dennis was explaining that horseradish and garlic tablets combined with a bromelain tablet yes. would be beneficial. Yes. Yes. I've been taking these, Dennis, for now probably about four or five weeks. So yes. the, the sciences are starting to diminish. Yes. It's um, starting to work, I believe, but I've had sinus for years. Yes. And I think if this is going to take some while for it to get rid of it. But yes. the question is, once I've got rid of the sinus, do I need to keep taking the horseradish and the bromelain or...? Okay. Look, that's a, that's a difficult question to answer categorically, Jerry. but your point is valid that the longer you have experienced a condition such as this, the longer it will take to respond optimally to, say, a natural medicine approach. And, and, and natural medicine perhaps has a downside to it in that whilst it is exceedingly safe, um, the optimum benefit sometimes takes a number of months to address something that has been chronic or long-standing. So the good thing about it is you are starting to get some benefit from that very soundly based combination of using bromelain and the two natural antibiotics for the upper respiratory tract, horseradish and garlic. It's difficult to say how long it will be for you to, to, to reach that point, but I would persevere with it. But what I always say is that if a chronic condition finally yields to the effect of this approach, um, very frequently a period of remission can be established, uh, which means the condition dissipates for, for all intents and purposes. And I would be working on that assumption that despite the chronicity of this condition, the gentle approach that you're using and the quiet achieving what's happening is under, under, undermining, if you like, this chronic pathology that's there, a low-grade infection perhaps. And when that's gone, I'd be confident that there should be a significant period of remission. And what I would be suggesting is that when you reach the point where the sinus symptoms are very, very minimal, I'd begin to cut down gradually on the dosage or level that you're taking as the first step, as the first step to weaning yourself off it and then see what you've left behind. That sounds very, very sound. I wasn't expecting a magic bullet to cure this immediately. I did expect it to take some time. I just sort of run it by you there. It's starting to diminish as yes. these symptoms. Yes. But like I said, I've had it for years, you yes. know, so I'm you know, it's... I was expecting it to be cured overnight. Um, well, that, 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 that combination, um, I could talk about it all, all day. Uh, a lot of people think that horseradish and garlic preparations uh, are more for things like hay fever or what we call rhinitis. They're not. Uh, horseradish is, a, is an underappreciated, mild vegetable antibiotic. It has a significant group of chemical constituents uh, known as mustard oil glycosides, which have a specific, gentle uh, and progressive antibiotic effect upon two major systems, the urinary system and the upper respiratory tract. And with garlic, it has a characteristic group of antibiotic principles, gentle as they are, which reinforce those of horseradish. And the bromelain functions as something which, if you like, uh, lets, starts the fire and itself has a, a mucolytic effect 
on the upper respiratory tract as well. So if I were lecturing to a group of students, I'd elaborate on the pharmacognosy or the chemistry of this combination because it's one of the most successful combinations that I've developed. And it's inexpensive, very safe, and as I've said, it's gentle. It'll take a little bit of time, but I'd be the most surprised person in the world if what is happening to you now, that is gentle improvement, doesn't lead to the point where it's resolved. Isn't that good to hear? There has been improvement already. Thank yes. you for that, Jerry, and you're on the right track. Now, uh, we did have a call, Dennis, from a listener who didn't want to speak on air, mm-hmm. but she's wondering if there's something natural that might lessen the outbreak of, uh, well, and lesions, outbreak of lesions associated yeah, with yeah. herpes 2 virus. Look, I'm happy to talk uh, about this because um, I'm well experienced uh, in the prescribing for this condition, again, where you have people that have experienced uh, herpes, um, particularly herpes simplex, um, for, for most of their life. And that can be, um, if you like, facial or uh, facial herpes, cold sores, or can even involve herpes in the, uh, in the, in the genital region. The, 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 the clue, in my opinion, the clue, in my opinion, to developing a degree of resistance to this condition is to start taking significant doses of an amino acid called lysine, L-Y-S-I-N-E. Now, lysine is inexpensive. It can be purchased from a good health food store or from a pharmacist, and it should be taken in a starting dose. dose I usually recommend about 2,000 milligrams when the, when the condition is not active, and at the first sign of the tingling, blistering symptoms starting to emerge, I recommend clients or patients to accelerate the lysine dosage up to about triple what they've been using until the condition begins to subside. That in itself is a useful device, but the worst case of um, herpes simplex I have treated in my life, in my 40 years of practice, is associated with a, a gentleman from the Hunter Valley who was never free of this condition and who presented to me quite a number of years ago. He's a very good friend now because by putting him on lysine and also the herbal combination that I talk frequently about, Astragalus 8, I say it again, Astragalus 8, uh, which again is one of those preparations that I brought in from Asia and had it manufactured here and did the first clinical trials on it, that is a powerful, still under-recognised, natural way of building up resistance to viral infections per se, but particularly the herpes virus. You go on, this, this lady that's ringing in, I'm saying to her, you start a program of using Astragalus 8 and don't go off it and start taking lysine in the dose routine that I have said and I think you'll find that you'll start to see lesser outbreaks of this wretched condition. And interestingly, the herb lemon balm, Melissa officinalis, these days is used as a topical application to address the developing blister and lead to a quick resolution of the blister. And that's a European preparation which is available again from pharmacies and health food stores. It's useful to have on hand to address the emerging blister to work with the oral preparations that I've spoken about. Fantastic. Thank you for your question. And Veronica has rung in from Warners Bay on 49216216. And uh, 
bad circulation. I bet you're noticing that at the moment, Veronica. I sure am. Hello, Veronica. Hello, Dennis. Now, do, do you have any major circulatory problems? Uh, like... I've suffered from varicose veins. Okay, okay, okay. Terribly. Uh, yes, and, and are, are you on medication, Veronica? I'm on a couple of... I have emphysema. Okay, I know what you'd be on. Look, that, I, I wouldn't see any um, clash with what I'm going to recommend uh, to you. You'll need a pencil and paper to, oh, jot, I've got to, it handy. to, to jot this down. And you'd get these preparations readily from Waters Bay Health Food Store. They stock uh, all the things that I talk about, the Vitology store there. Yes. The first thing that you'd need to uh, utilise are what are called bioflavonoids. Okay. And one of them in particular called rutin, R-U-T-I-N. R-U-T-I-N. Now, those, yep. those people know the form of the bioflavonoid I use and if you were to mention that, they would make sure that you get the one that I have confidence in. All bioflavonoids are good, but dosage is critical. And in a preparation that I developed, there is a good level of rutin, a bioflavonoid, which even your doctor or pharmacist would understand as to the way in which it improves circulation to and from the extremities. Principle number one. The second thing is um, you need uh, to get onto. Uh, some of the European herbs that are in tablet form, the major one being a herb called horse chestnut. Horse chestnut. And it is usually accompanied by the herb broom. 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 Broom, okay. is, a, broom is a fascinating remedy. It is argued that the Roman legions, uh, who were able to uh, jog all day virtually over long distances, it was put down or written up by historians that their capacity to jog or run such long distances had a lot to do with the way in which they were taking regular dosages of the herb broom. So it's got a good reputation for circulation and improving the health of the extremities. So do that as a starting base. And for long term, for long term, the herb ginkgo biloba. Ginkgo. Is, is one, but with ginkgo, you'd have to run that past your GP because if you are on any blood thinners... Yes, ginkgo, I'm on one aspirin a day. Oh, that, sh- that shouldn't be a worry, but you would still need to indicate to your GP that you've spoken to me and I've suggested that ginkgo would be an excellent preparation for peripheral problems, but get his opinion uh, yep. or, or his monitoring of the condition to make sure that it's not interacting with, with, with aspirin. I don't think it would, but do the right thing by your GP. Mention yes. it to him. I think if you went on to those things, uh, and they're not expensive, uh, and if you were to give them a run, you should know pretty promptly if they're going to do any good. Good. That would be great. I'm just so tired of being cold. I bet you are. I bet you are. But look, start also Start also to, to put a bit of spice into your life. Get on to some ginger as a, yeah. as a ginger tea. I talk a lot about ginger, and start to use some chilli in your cooking. Those, oh, I do that. Oh, you're a good girl. Well, increase the content of them because they work well also. Okay. There you go. There's a challenge for you. <laughs> oh, well, anything to stop feeling cold all the time. I People bet. look at me like I'm a I bear. Bet. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> Okay, a little spice. Uh, it's a oh, fourteen to one. And just before we leave the topic of lysine, was it the lysine? Lysine, you yeah. were talking L-Y-S-I-N-E. about it. So a listener has rung in with a question, not 
terribly sure about what she's talking about. Lyzon, maybe that's Lyzine, is no? I've never heard of Lyzone. Okay, so it's probably Lyzine. It's Lyzine that I've been talking about. Yes. And um, as I've said, it works uh, very well. The the rationale is that the body chemistry uh, feeds the herpes virus if the arginine amino acid is disproportionately elevated in comparison with lysine. So by using lysine, the theory is you tame the level of arginine and lessen, therefore, the body chemistry that predisposes to the viral assertion. That's the theory, regardless of whether that's true or not. I believe it is true. Um, Lysine is well, well known around the world as a safe supplement. Uh, And I've said with with astragalosate, in my opinion, um, it's, it's, it's remarkable. The number that Stan rang in from Fullerton Cove on. Now, it's all about a nervous tremor that you'd like to ask Dennis, Stan. That's correct. Hello, Stan. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well indeed. How can we help you? Listen, I've, I've got a nervous tremor in my mm. right hand. Yes. And yes. it makes it very difficult to write. Yes. I also suffer from a bit of arthritis, and I've seen neurosurgeons, I've been wired to sound and everything else like that for them to figure out what may be wrong and okay. what's creating this nervous tremor. And I'm just wondering if there's anything that you could recommend that I could do? First of all, you, you probably realise, Stan, that this is not an uncommon condition. Um, sometimes it's called senile tremor. It can occur uh, as we get older, and many, many people experience it. It is embarrassing because at times it does affect the ability to write, and it's in extreme cases can make it very difficult even to have a cup of tea. Um, it's not easy treated, and I'm presu- I presume you've exhausted any medical approach to managing it. What, what we would be looking for in herbal medicine are remedies that, how can you call it, have a relaxant effect on the muscular and skeletal system, are very safe herbs. The downside to it again being because of their gentle nature, uh, they would take a long period of time uh, before they would assert themselves if they were going to assert themselves. But I will name a couple of herbs that you should think about uh, and, and discuss with your pharmacist. If you have a compounding pharmacist up there anywhere, they would know what I'm talking about. But there are three herbs that we use in this difficult condition, and I'm not claiming to have the answer per se to it. I'm suggesting that these three herbs should be utilised and tried. They're harmless. There is the possibility of them reducing the level of tremor, there's no guarantee. The three herbs, in order of preference, would be the herb passion flower. That's an excellent... Passion passion flower in a capsule capsule or an extract form is a very, very good way of addressing it. The other herb is an American herb called skullcap, which also has indications for tremor, and, and even a stronger uh, activity than that. And the third remedy that I would be suggesting is an Ayurvedic remedy, and it is known as Withania, W-I-T-H-A-N-I-A. Now, those three herbs can be combined uh, by a pharmacist into a liquid extract combination or can be taken individually. Now, the good thing about them is they are not expensive. They may not help, but... 
they would be the sorts of herbs that we would recommend to a person to try, seeing nothing else has worked. Now, your pharmacist would probably know that there are a group of herbs which only they can prescribe due to their toxicity, and rightly so. And one of those herbs is a herb called belladonna. Now, belladonna is well known in old-fashioned pharmacy, and it's what's known as an anticholinergic remedy, and pharmacists would understand that. And in very, very, very low dosage that would need to be monitored by your GP if you're going to use this, it can sometimes take the edge off tremor. But that is a herb that only a pharmacist could supply. It is potentially toxic, and it would need to be monitored by your GP. It needs, right, to, be, okay. it, it needs to be kept up your sleeve, but try the gentle remedies first. All the very best with that, Stan. And uh, that answers your question? Yeah, all bar one. Will any of that help my arthritis in my right hand? Oh, I'd, I'd be doubtful. I'd be doubtful. Right. I, think, I think that's uh, going a bit too far. Okay, thanks for your call, Stan. Now, another couple of listeners have rung in. One has asked about Lipsine, L-Y-P-S-I-N-E, and is asking whether that's the same as you were talking about, which was lysine. Look, um, it, I'm not familiar with the name. It, it seems to imply that it's a preparation based on lysine. It could well be. And, I think that's mm. a, and if it is... Yes, it would be a good preparation. And that would be in the label, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. You'd yeah. probably find that um, it is the brand name, and if you looked on the label, it would have a certain content of lysine. That's what I suspect it is, it, and that would yes. be a good preparation. And one more question, and that is from someone else who didn't want to speak on air. She has blood pressure, or presumably high blood pressure, mm-hmm. and she's been walking to help, and she's asking whether there's any herbal medication that she could use to help lower the blood pressure. Look, my suggestion is that if you have blood pressure, you content yourself with the fact that modern blood pressure medications, as prescribed by our good GPs, are very successful, have virtually minimal side effects, and I take a blood pressure medication, and I'm happy to take the medication, and I would not recommend any listener to fiddle with this. The modern drugs prescribed by our good GPs and pharmacists Stick with those. So go to your GP mm. and mm. Uh, sort things out Very from that. So. Well, we've got about a minute, a minute and a half mm. to wrap up. I mean, you started talking about uh, some of the herbs. Yeah. I'll just finish on this one about the Vitex. Yes. I, I presented it as a remedy that I discovered for, for uh, preparing lectures on treating the female reproductive system. Vitex very quickly has proven itself over many, many years to be a remedy that's remarkably useful in addressing serious premenstrual syndrome. And we talk about that condition frequently, and it is a reality. Some women experience hell in that stage immediately prior to the period. I have found uh, Vitex to be almost specific for managing that. The other thing where I found it remarkably useful is that in women that experience recurring endometriosis, which is a wretched condition that can compromise their fertility, where everything else has failed, or frequently in conjunction with medical therapy, Vitex agnus castus has proven itself remarkable. And in areas of infertility, uh, particularly where what's called corpus luteum deficiency is considered to be the factor, 
Vitex is a favourite remedy for helping couples conceive who have that particular problem. So Vitex, discovered and brought into Australia by me many, many years ago, initially trialled by my students at Leichhardt Women's Health Centre, now utilised by herbalists all around the English-speaking world. Without Vitex, many conditions that women experience, in my opinion, wouldn't do as well uh, today as they can do with Vitex. That is a great story, Dennis Stewart. Thank you so much for all your advice over the last hour. And we've had some really good topics. So we will do it all again next Friday on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.